G'day, welcome, Pedaling Podcast. It's me, I'm back as another show, and I'm currently cycling through Australia. Uh, it's a bloody long journey and a bloody big place, uh, but I'm slowly making it. I've just left Adelaide, I'm heading north up to Port Augusta, and I'm gonna be cycling across the Nullarbor pretty soon, like next week. Um, it's all kind of happening, it's all kind of ongoing. So I'm John, I'm traveling back home to London. I'm gonna be cycling across the world as I do that. And I'm gonna be talking, sharing stories and interviewing people and sharing them with you guys. So, next show. Uh, I got talking with Grace, who manages dotwatcher.cc. It's a bikepacking, dot watching platform for anyone that's interested in the bikepacking world, the racing kind of world at the moment. Uh, it's a growing world. It's kind of something I'm super excited about, interested in. And I, I kind of like, I guess I'm kind of doing something that's similar. No one's watching my me as a dot. Um, but this world of packing stuff on a bike, riding as far as you can, being self-sufficient, jumping off the bike, sleeping where you can, getting up again, repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, it, it's a lot different to to racing, road racing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a ex-road racer, I guess, at an amateur level and of watch the Tour de France, I watch all those kind of events, I keep a close eye on everything. And, and, and this is kind of like, it's, I mean, it's, you're still riding a bike and it's still, you know, pushing yourself to your limits. But in a much different way, I guess some people compare it to the old days of the Tour de France where you kind of were on your own, you know, you kind of have to fix your stuff on your own. There's stories of people running into bike shops, getting their wheels fixed, uh, jumping back on the bike and completing the stage race at the Tour de France back in the day. So I guess there's kind of like a connection between the uh, uh, kind of the, the original um, type of racing uh, and what we're doing now. Um, and there's also a kind of this, I kind of call it something new. I guess it's this bike packing scene is kind of new, but um, as, I, as you'll find out me talking to Grace, actually it's not that new. It's, it's kind of been happening for, for many years and we just don't really hear about it that much. Or, um, or it's kind of a, a part of the world that is kind of doing its own thing. And, uh, and it's only now when you've got pro racers and um, you know people of, of status doing these things and it's suddenly shining a light on it. And, and I don't know why, I think, I'm not sure what's happened. There's a catalyst that's changed uh, the way we kind of see this kind of cycling. Uh, and as I spoke to Rupert and, and Cav about two weeks ago when they did their race in, uh, in Scotland, you know, when I were hanging out with Rupert and uh, you know, racers and, and cyclists back then, we never heard of this bike racing, bike packing kind of event. It's all kind of still quite new, I think, and it's kind of interesting. So this episode, uh, I talked to Grace and she kind of shares her insight into this world, her views on this world, what she does with Dot Watcher, you know, pretty much like with just a few people kind of running the show and, and trying to de- develop something really interesting. Uh, and I'm really excited for her to share her kind of story and what she's up to. Uh, she's just completed the Paris-Brest, Paris uh, you can check her out on Instagram. I'm sure she links it somewhere in the show. Uh, and we also caught up on some controversial things that happened in the bike racing world uh, during the Tour Divide when uh, Lyle Wilcox kind of had a crew with her following her, um, documenting the whole journey. That was a, a couple of months ago, maybe less than that. But it's still quite relevant and it's that kind of area that, that I talk about often because I'm kind of interested in the media kind of world uh, of cycling. but. There's also this change uh, happening, you know, these, these events are becoming bigger, people get sponsors uh, and people want to document the, the journey that they go on for these big epic races. And that causes conflict because that goes against what the original 
events were set out to do. It's about being on your own. It's about just being self-sufficient. It's about getting to the end of the line in your in your own way without any emotional, physical um, support the whole way. So it's an interesting thing, a topic to, to discuss. Some people are divided on the opinions, but um, but listen to what Grace has to say. Enjoy the show. And like I said, if you need to follow the Pedaling Podcast, it's at Pedaling Podcast. Uh, Instagram I'm sharing everything on my journey there as well if you're anywhere in Australia at the moment all the way to the other end which is Perth where I'm going to be in about two weeks time maybe probably probably a bit longer then give me a shout Uh, from there I'm going to be heading over to Singapore and then heading north through Southeast Asia so if you know of any people you know that that you find interesting that are out in Asia at the moment then do give me a shout because I would love to meet up talk to them hang out with them and really find out what their story is there's a few people that I'm going to talk to on the way um, there's also a lot of shows coming up guys when I was in Melbourne I talked to so many interesting people doing so many different cool things so keep tuned um, and I'm going to share everything that that's coming up over the next month which is quite exciting from an Australian cycling point of view enjoy the show over to you grace grace welcome to uh Pedling podcast um well start off with telling me like who you are cool uh yeah thanks for having me uh i'm grace and i run the website dotwatcher.cc uh which is a community platform for following ultra distance racing uh from around the world and you know how i kind of wanted to get in touch with you mm-hmm. yeah it was from your from your newsletters actually because I signed up for them like probably I think last year and I've been getting them every every um every, every week when you release them and uh one of the sections of the newsletter that I really like is the bit you kind of add in there where it's kind of like those kind of brief updates from around the world of uh bikepacking and cycling and stuff like that which I oh sweet really- that's good to know yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, trying to send them a bit more frequently just because there's so much happening in uh, ultra distance world at the moment that it started off as more of a monthly thing and I've had to just really increase it because I've just got too much to tell people. So uh, yeah, look in your spam folders, everyone, if you're missing an issue. <laughs> so dot watcher, the word dot watcher, I don't know what it is, but but can you explain what where it came from the word? Yeah, for sure. Um, So anyone who has ever followed an ultra distance race uh, will know that if you have live tracking uh, on the likes of track leaders or a few newcomers to the scene, Map Progress and Legends tracking, the two that I know of, um, each rider has a dot either with their initials on it or uh, with a number associated to them. Uh, on it and as they move it tracks their every every movement basically um which is often used for backing up the fact that they did complete the course that they said they would um and also for entertainment purposes for those of us at home who just want to know what's going on at every hour of the day um so yeah basically we uh, put the map on our website and we run a parallel like commentary to to give a bit more personality to the dots because for a lot of the time, it's just updating every, I don't know, five minutes or so, uh, but you don't actually know what's happened within those five minutes or, and then over the course of the day. So um, as dot watchers, uh, as we call ourselves, uh, we like to track what's happening. Um, it sounds a bit creepy, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> we like to see what's happening on the ground and yeah, just stay in touch with the race any way we can. On these self-supported races, you're not allowed contact with a lot of the riders so um through these 
through dot watching is the only way we can keep tabs on everyone really so the, the question of like how did the how did, how did dot watchers become dot watchers um for example are dot watchers growing is there more people watching dots yeah i would say so uh, just because of the increase in participation so the, i think there's a lot more people interested in our sport now and i i can see that just based on the the numbers on my website um so it's like the families and friends of those people who get into it and want to know what their loved ones are doing and so i think there is a, a bigger appetite for just sitting there like or oh, wondering what's happening or who the person in front of them is or what what's their story what are they doing and um yeah I think it it does become really addictive and I think I've, I'll have a lot of people who back me up on that um there'll be numerous tabs in people in the office people will be opening up a new tab and uh, just start watching to make sure that they can uh, see what's going on in any race any particular time and um yeah, I think it is getting a lot more popular. Um, I know on Facebook, there's a, a guy called Ron Nelson, um, and he dot watches a lot of the US events. Um, and for from what I know, I, I don't think he's ever taken part in a race before, but he just loves dot watching. Um, so if you go to Ron Nelson's dot watching page on Facebook, he, um, he did the Transamerica bike race and bike nonstop US. Um, and just posted updates multiple times a day and people loved it. It's often the only way you get insight into a race. So it's um, a pretty good thing that he's doing there. Mm. Yeah, there was a friend of mine who I'm going to hopefully interview soon, uh, Rupert Robinson. I think he just finished his first uh, bikepacking race, which was the Trans-Alba one. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And I must admit, actually, you know, he posted up the whole uh, website and where you can go follow it and stuff like that. And didn't really think much about it. And then I started thinking about him and thought, how's he getting on? So I'll check the website, found his name really easy, clicked on zoom in and you can literally see the whole race where he is. You know, I could see where he was sleeping at that night as well. Which is quite yeah. Cool. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you can actually get, it's, it's cool because you can get a, I guess a perspective of, of where they are or what they're doing or how they are, where everyone else is as well. So you kind yeah, of like exactly. feel like Yeah, when they're going into towns. In yeah, they're like pulling into a McDonald's again and you're like, oh, he's hungry or needs Wi-Fi, <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, so what's your role at Dot Watcher then? Uh, so basically I, I run the website. I uh, produce a lot of the content that you see on the website and I am in contact with our race commentators. Um, so... This year so far, we've done the Italy Divide, the Highland Trail 550, um, Trans-American Bike Race, Transatlantic Way, uh, Tour Divide, that was a big one, uh, and GB Duro, I think they're the six that we've done so far. Um, so basically, I try and get people who are in the know of those races um, to lend us their um, their insight and experience um, so that we can... <laughs> like I say, provide valuable information to people who want to dot watch those races. Um, so I'll try and scope those people out and get them on board and see how I can support them in delivering the content they want to on that race. Um, we've had a really great guy, Dave Chernside, who has been commentating the Tour Divide for us this year, uh, producing daily updates. And um, yeah, he he's just... He's done the race himself, new, uh, I think, a few times. Um, so he can say, you know, this bit is particularly technical or coming up in 100 miles time, they'll have this, this and this. And uh, it's just really valuable. So I talk to those people um, 
and try and get them on board to help with Dot Watcher and spreading the word about our sport, basically. Mm. So you're you're basically coordinating like as many people as you can all around the world uh, to report on these races, basically. Exactly. That's yeah. That's what I'm trying to do, and to get more of a global audience as well. Um, obviously, there's a lot of races outside of Europe that I would love to cover, um, but I don't I don't know those. Either I don't know the races well enough to know who has done them before, I don't have a contact, or, um, yeah, it's just really difficult for me, either time zone. So we've got Race to the Rock coming up as well. Um, so I'm trying to um, figure out how we do that, given the time difference um, and the fact that there's a lot of Australians who do it, obviously. Um, but I may not know, that, know those people, so I'm just trying to... Yeah, keep tabs on what's happening in the world and try and um, get more of a global perspective on ultra endurance racing, basically. Cool. So you basically need a little bit of help then to get uh, word out there and find people. To come yeah, yeah, because it, it really is a community effort at the end of the day. You know, we're all in, well, all of the audience, uh, as far as I know, we're all involved in this sport and we want to give back to it in some way. And I feel like this is one of the key ways we can you know, if you've done a race in the past, um, perhaps lending insight into that race for the next edition, um, particularly if the route is the same one that you did. Um, so yeah, just trying to get everyone on board. We've had, you know, we've had emails from people all over the place, uh, particularly during Trans Am bike race. Uh, just dot watchers side of the road, send us a couple of pictures of uh, the riders passing through their towns. Uh, with nothing more than a high thought you might want this and it's so great that people think of us or think of me um when they're out there just trying to dot watch and yeah it's quite a humbling experience to be honest because I'm just little old me sat here trying to do a service to <laughs> the ultra endurance community so um yeah it's kind of rewarding in that way as well okay well maybe I can help a little bit then because I guess Race to the Rock is organised by Jesse, who's also one of the people involved in Curve, but mm -hmm. also just interviewed. Um, oh, cool. so maybe I can reach out to those guys and see if uh, I can link you up with someone. I mean, I know it's not a big race, that Race to the Rock. It's, it's quite a hard endurance um, kind of event. But uh, Yeah, and it looks like help. it's changing uh, format this year. Like It's got two stages or something. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Um, yeah, thankfully, I've got a few months until it happens. So, um, and plenty going on between now and then. But, yeah, it'd be good to uh, see if you know anyone and, yeah, share contacts would be good. Cool. Um, I've got a question. And some people not know about this uh, already. Some people don't know about it. I'm kind of like listening into the news and sort of seeing something going on here. But can you talk about or do you want to talk about what's going on with uh, – Lau Wilcox and the Tour Divide race. Oh, yeah, that kicked off in spectacular style. So what is going you? on? I have no <laughs> idea. I, I'm just catching up on it now, and I yeah. kind of read these, like, these posts, and I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I yeah. can't really figure it out. So can you explain, like, from the beginning so, to end what's yeah, going on? Yeah, basically, so for those who don't know, the Tour Divide is probably the most prestigious bikepacking race um, on the calendar. It's one of the originals. Um, it's been going... Oh my God. probably for a good 10 or 11 years I want to say um, I'm just checking my results now Tour Divide yeah 2008 was the first edition so this is its 11th year um, so it's very much considered one of the pinnacle events of bikepacking um, and it's had all number of people take part in it you know you've, 
a lot of people who are where they are now in bikepacking world probably did tour divide. So, you know, JP JP Tavari, I think that's how you say his name. Um, He's done it a couple of times um, and we'll come back to him in a minute. Um, (laughs) Leah Wilcox obviously done it. Alexandra Hoochin, she's done it a couple of times. Um, There's a lot of well-known names in bikepacking who have done tour divide is basically what I'm saying. Um, So when this edition came round, I don't know if you remember on the Facebook group, um, is that where you've seen all the action kicking off? No, I actually follow Leah Wilcox on Instagram and I kind of, you know, read some of the comments, read some of the things now and again. And I noticed how it was kind of this big build up, this big race. And I was kind of interested in it because I actually interviewed, um, I interviewed Eric Nolan uh, and Eric mm-hmm. Nolan uh, is a, obviously a big fan of Leah Wilcox. They kind of support her with uh, Specialized. Yeah. Uh, and he spoke a little bit about her and about him racing. So I've kind of like, kept an eye on what's going okay. on yeah the, the Facebook group um was where I first saw it all kicking off so basically um Lael Wilcox uh said she would be racing Tour Divide this year um her girlfriend Rue Calladite I think is, is her name is a photojournalist um videographer content producer if you like um and she was gonna follow the Tour Divide specifically Lael by the sound of it um, along with two others, uh, a guy called Jay and Stephen, I think was his name. Um, so there was the three of them acting as a crew and wanting to follow the tour divide and document it and produce a documentary later in the year. Um, this then raised, uh, a, I think, a valid argument about how supported Lael would feel. So when we talk about self-support in bikepacking races, it goes beyond physical so, you know, handing a bottle of water to someone is like physical support. Uh, but there's also emotional support and mental support. If you know, so Tour Divide goes proper off grid uh, for sections of it. But if you know that there is someone you know, or even if you're aware of someone in your vicinity, it changes the experience compared to the other races. Uh, so particularly Lael's girlfriend, if she's you know, a hundred meters away, that changes your focus in that race. You're like, I will probably be okay. You know, if if there's a bear, for example, you know, there's a a crew not too far away from you and that it alters the experience. And I think that's what the arguments were on the Facebook group. Um, So there was a lot of people saying, you know, this, she's not self-supported. She'll have to um, declare her time as an ITT and all of this kind of stuff and it probably kicked off um, in a quite a big way um, and then but then I saw other posts there was the Radivist post re- uh, recently um, as they were covering the tour divide and I saw Eric Nolan chip into that and he was he had a really valid argument as well saying you know the only reason we hear about these races and we are inspired by them is because there are photographs and videos about them so you know it's you kind of stop between a rock and a hard place. You want an, a nice, inspiring story, but you're only going to get that if someone actually films or takes photos on the race. So it's managing how to do that um, while also following the ethos of self-support. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky one, and I don't. I kind of stand on the fence with it. I can see the pros and cons of both, um, and I think it's quite hypocritical that a few people commenting have been involved in films themselves um, and now don't want Lael to be filmed. So I think it's a bit uh, 
pot calling the kettle black there um, for a couple of people who I've seen making their comments. So, um, it, you know, it happened. And I think the documentary that Rue produces will be amazing. It's bound to be. Um, everything else of hers that I've seen has been brilliant and she's been really supportive. Um, I did a five minutes with interview with Lael earlier this year and she was great at sending me a few pictures of Lael um, that I could use on the article, you know, really supportive of Dot Watcher. So um, that was really nice. And, you know, we've had films in the past inspired to ride. Um, Mike Dion contributed to the Facebook chat about it and you, like, and from a producer's perspective or director's perspective as well. So it has had some really important people weighing up whether or not this was something that should or shouldn't be done. And I, I think I'll be... in. In the end, I think it's getting released in October. I think it'll be really good when it comes out and we'll see a lot of people targeting the tour divide as a result of it. So, um, and I think that's only a good thing. We can only encourage more people into our sport and to share the ethos of self-supported bikepacking races. And yeah, I think it. I think it's a good thing. Mm. I think it's quite interesting because you know these guys and 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 you and myself are all doing these interesting things, and it's it's about sharing it and it's about talking about it. And it's about documenting kind of what we're doing so other people can see it. So I guess it's kind of quite mm. a difficult position to be, you know, like if I didn't share anything about what I was doing, then I would never know where I was going or what I was doing and not be able to, to contribute or kind of uh, give something back or me offer them something in exchange. So I guess it's kind of, yeah, we kind live, of a tough yeah. balance to get. We live in a content world now, don't we? So <laughs> um, in, in a lot of ways, you, you have to document what you do. Um, because everyone else is doing it so uh, yeah but then you've got people like Alexandra Hoochin who is not on social media at all and she's doing incredible things and um she still has really good support she's got a bike sponsor uh Chumba Bikes I think they're called um and in a recent podcast that I listened to of her she was saying you know they were like oh yeah just post on your social media you know this that and the other and she's like oh I don't do social media um, and they were like, oh, okay, well, just send us a few pictures every now and again. You know, we support you because you're you. And that, that's the end of it kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good ethos, I reckon. Um, I really mm. liked that. I guess there was that, that interesting balance, isn't there, between like, do you become this uh, this billboard for a, for a brand or do you become yourself and then let them support you for what you do, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And fine art. Yeah, definitely a, a good balance there. So whilst we're on the subject of, uh, I guess, people riding bikes and uh, getting into these these events and documenting them, um, I was particularly interested in what was happening like this year with uh, with the Rafa team uh, and Lachlan and I can't remember what his team's called now. You can probably remind me. Yeah, for um, education first. <laughs> yes, um, uh, I remember reading about these guys uh, planning to allow these guys you know, these protein guys, these guys that are being paid, you know, the big bucks when it comes to road racing, you know, they're going to be at the, uh, the big world tour events. Um, but they're allowing their riders to go out there and do these local races, these, um, community kind of races that have just grown bigger and bigger each year. And I guess they've become so cool in its own right that, that these big brands want to be there. And I guess there's something quite, um, it's quite interesting about how that's developing in, in the world of long distance riding. Um, what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, um, well, I think there's an obvious connection with Rafa's Explore range and the fact they support this, uh, the EF Education First team. There's um, a connection there. 
in that they want to promote their explore clothing. This is some like these events are happening. Let's merge the two together, get some pro riders to do it. Jobs are good and sell loads of stuff. So there's the obvious capitalist way to look at it. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I, so we followed GB Duro, which was the race that Lock and Morton recently did, uh, which was a Land's End John O'Groats off-road version. Um, that I think it finished last week now. Uh, well, he finished it a lot earlier than everyone else. But um, I think it's really good. I think it shows um, a bit more of a human side to these supposed robots of the pro cycling world. You know, we're, we're fed all this information that, um, you know, they've got this much power and they they just see they just don't seem too normal too human sorry um when they're out on the on the likes of the tour de france you know they they've been fed a specific diet they've done a specific training routine they've they're looked after to the nth degree and with races like gb duro um and you know all the others that are on the calendar they're having to fend for themselves to a large degree and maybe not to the degree that we like other people within that race are but he had to follow the rules the same as everybody else and from what I could tell from the tracker and um other people who saw Lachlan en route he followed the rules and he was not accepting any outside help um which I think is is really good and it, it brings new eyes to the ultra distance world as well which is obviously a good thing um you know some people, I saw a few comments on Lachlan's Instagram account saying, you know, I'd have never known about this race had it not been for you doing it. Really interested in this world now, going to try and dot watch a few other events or, you know, words to that effect. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's really good that um, they're pushing the boundaries. You know, you think, oh, yeah, they only race like 100Ks a day. And yeah, it's at stupid levels of power that I'll never be able to replicate. But try doing that what was it like a thousand nearly two thousand kilometers this race that he did and he did it and it, i think yeah it just brings a whole new appreciation of the sort of athletes that take part in these races regardless of whether they're professional or not you know it's a massive effort and um some of the comments that lachlan made afterwards he was saying it was it's the most beautiful thing he's ever done and life-changing like you know all these words that we kind of use interchangeably in in ultra endurance world um it's bound to change you if you're having to fend for yourself for a few thousand kilometers in in unfamiliar territory so it's quite nice that um these pro riders are getting invo involved now and yeah taking on the challenge I, i'm looking forward to it mm. i think i remember one of his comments on um instagram was that he said uh this is probably one of the hardest things he's ever done on a bike which I think is yeah. pretty incredible considering, you know, this guy has been going to these world tours kind of all over the world. Yeah. And yet this race that it was on his own, completely unsupported, um, was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's great. Um, and the fact that he's probably had some of the world's best experts working with him throughout his professional career. And for him to say that this, seemingly small like low key and I say that in inverted commas because it's a massive event really when you think about it uh but you know this kind of low key bike packing event has been the hardest thing and I think that puts it all into perspective for people watching and, and dot watchers and fellow people like fellow bike riders thinking of getting into it and they think oh yeah must have been tough and or maybe I'll have a go at it you know it increases the appetite but it's good mm. So bikepacking, you know, 
I guess five years ago when I was when I was back in the UK, uh, I'd never really heard of it. It was never a thing, and never no one was really doing it. I mean, this was. I mean, probably was a lot of people doing it already, but for me, it wasn't on my radar and the radar of people around me. Yet now I'm seeing more and more people kind of doing it, even friends back home. What I did know about though was was uh, all Dax racing and touring. Um, what's the what's what is the difference? What is the landscape of, of this kind of? I guess it's riding your bike long distances, but but how do you define like all these different types of? Uh, yeah. Types of ways to move your bike. Yeah, there's a few different ones. So touring is obviously, I think, what you're doing on your way back to the UK, uh, kind of stopping to smell the roses, uh, probably traveling a little bit heavier, um, but with more comfort. Um, so there's always always that trade-off. Um, and yeah, taking your time and, you know, it's a, more of a journey, uh, I think, is how I classify touring. Uh, okay, because yeah. I have a different thought of what touring was. I always just presumed touring was when you had uh, the two, you know, Ortlib type pannier bags on the side yeah. uh, and on the front of the bike. So much more heavier kind of setup. Yeah. Whereas what I've got is is that kind of Alp kit style um, saddle bag, the, you know, some uh, kind of handlebars. Lightweight touring. That's what you're doing. So there's a sub, okay. a sub genre of touring. <laughs> So I'm not, so I'm, I, so I presumed I was bikepacking. I've always said bikepacking. If you read anything, I've always said bikepacking. Yeah. So I'm not doing bikepacking, is your opinion? Um, I think bikepacking, I would probably class as the overarching, uh, like umbrella term for traveling with a load of gear. Um, but then within that, I would probably define it, um, as you've got lightweight touring, but that kind of indicates that you're not in a hurry. Um, I don't know if that's the case for you. I don't know if you've got a, you know, a month to do this trip in or five years. Um, but I would associate touring as more of a slow and steady uh, kind of journey to a destination or a round trip, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, bikepacking races. Um, I would, yeah, I mean, clues in the name there, a race is against the clock. So you're going to be doing that pretty quickly if you've got anything to do with it. Um but yeah, I would say that um, there's yeah standard touring, lightweight touring, um, and I think bikepacking as well has more of an affiliation with off-road um, cycling, uh, some mountain bike stuff. Um, I think that's uh, a world that people most associate bikepacking with because historically it has been off-road um, with the likes of yeah all these off-road trails that people go and do and they pack their tent and yeah there's all sorts going on so um whereas with road touring you don't necessarily need to take a tent because you can just go into a hotel um mm. which is what I've that's the one that I've, I've i've known people call that flash packing that's, oh, that's another yeah. term i've learned recently and also a credit card uh bike packing so that's where yeah. you don't take a tent and you just check in to uh, a hotel and also you know pop into a uh a pub for lunch and stuff like that so you actually don't take a lot of gear with you yeah yeah and i'd say that's lightweight touring or lightweight bikepacking whichever one way you want to think about it because you know you're not taking the kitchen sink with you you're not taking your stove um and yeah a tent and stuff like that so yeah definitely the lightweight version so what about or uh, all dough or dax or dax how do you say it? 
Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I spoke to my friend the other day and he called it Ordo. And I was like, what is this thing you're talking about? He's like, you know, those bike rides that you do. I was like, oh, Ordax. <laughs> but ever since I wanted to call them Ordo just to yeah, bring that word to life. It's quite funny. Uh, yeah, Ordax is uh, it's kind of supported um, in that it's an arranged event and there'll often be a lot of cake en route. Uh, various controls so Audax events tend to start at around 200 kilometers and go anything up to uh, this weekend there was a 1200 on the Audax UK calendar so there's a whole spread of events um, across there there are some shorter ones just to give you a bit of a taster but typically it's 200 and up um, and yeah, you, get, you start tend to start in a village hall somewhere. Um, you're given a route sheet, which is a queue by like a queue sheet basically um, for those who have a Garmin or Wahoo or whatever. Um, the little commands that come up every time you need to do a turn that will be in a spreadsheet format for those people to follow more in a more analog style. Um, so you get a route sheet. Sometimes you get a GPX. Most of the time, there's a GPX nowadays. Um, and then you just follow it and there's controls on route. I kind of describe it as orienteering by bike. Um, you've got specific controls to get to and you have to prove you got there and get a stamp or a receipt or something to prove you were there other than your um, GPX file. Um, and then at the end of it, you hand over your brevet card that you've collected all your stamps along and then it'll be sent off for validation to say, yeah, you did it. Um, and Audax can lead to a whole other world of events. So this year is a Parry Breast Parry year. So it happens every four years. Um, so for that, uh, people, well, generally you have to pre-qualify. So the year before Parry Breast Parry, you need to have done, um, uh, I think people managed to get in with a 400. So there was a 12, a thousand kilometers and over, they got to register first. Uh, so they take up a number of places, then 600 kilometer board axes got to take up their places. And I think 400 was about, that filled them up after that. So um, there's different waves that you can register. And then after that, you need to do a super randonneur series, which is a two, three, four, and a six um, throughout the year, just before, I think June 30th was the cutoff for UK riders. Um, so you need to, to have done all your qualifiers by then in order to um, properly register and say, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm up for this and off we go in August. So that's what I'm doing this year. Uh, that's kind of my challenge um, for later on, which is kind of bubbling away in the background. I haven't given it much thought since finishing my Super Randonneur series. So um, I'll get to that in the next few weeks, probably. Cool. So what's your so, so what's going to be your setup for, for Paris? Paris, Paris, Paris. Um, uh, great question. I've been picking the brains of a number of people uh, who have done it over the years. And my main concern is the sleeping situation, to be honest. Um, I think there's a few controls that have um, air beds and blankets and stuff. But, you know, there's over 4,000 people on this event, admittedly all set off at different times. But uh, they talk about it like if you're part of the bulge, so in a bell curve, the middle bit where everyone is. Um, if what if like 2000 other people want to sleep at the same time as you, they're not going to have 2000 air beds, for example. So it's kind of, that's the only thing that's really niggling me at the moment. I don't know whether to take a bivy bag or my sleeping bag um, and just crash out wherever I want. 
um, or to utilize the controls and use what they have and therefore have a lighter setup. So it's something I need to probably think about a bit more, talk to a few more people and uh, figure it out. But apart from that, I don't think I'll take too much else. Um, there's about 12 controls en route. So you're never going to be too far from resupply. And, you know, there's shops on the side of the road if I do want to pull over and get an extra three croissants to keep me going. Um, and, yeah, I don't think it's one of those where you really need to carry too much because it's really well supported. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably just take a couple of snacks, uh, spare electric things, you know, to charge up my uh, GPS and phone and things, battery pack potentially, um, and that'll be about it, I think. And what's your, what's your aim? What are you trying to do? Are you, are you racing? Are you trying to hit a certain time? Are you, uh, yeah, um, I just want to finish it, I think. And I know that's a, a common line that people say when they enter these kinds of events. But um, I don't know. Uh, do you know Bjorn Lenhard? He's won, I think he's won Transcontinental before, and he won Transatlantic Way. Uh, but he has set the fastest ever Paribrest Parry time. I think it was something ridiculous like 52 hours. And I might be doing him a disservice there and adding on about 10 hours to his time. <laughs> um, but it was really quick. Um, so, oh, no, yeah, I did add 10 hours to his time. 42.26, he did it in, 20, in 2015. Um, I've let myself have 84 hours. So you can choose 80, 84 or 90 hours to complete Paris Parry. Um, so Bjorn just decided to do it in 42, which is crazy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, on paper, my based on my 600, uh, how long I take to do a 600, I should have about 10 hours to play with within that wave. So, yeah, I just need to keep my uh, faff time down, as I call it, and get on with riding my bike, constantly move forward. So, um, yeah, I just want to finish it. I'm not up for... I don't want to race it. I want to enjoy it because by all accounts, the atmosphere around the event is amazing. You know, there's a lot of road roadside cheers from locals who are along the route. And um, yeah, I just want to, yeah, kind of soak up the atmosphere really. And maybe if I do it again in four years time, um, I might push for a quicker time, but certainly for my first go at something this long, um, I just want to get through it and enjoy it and finish in one piece. Cool. So I guess if you're not going to race it and you're going to enjoy it, does that mean you're technically bike touring? <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I am. Yeah. But within an event, which is kind of weird, I guess you don't tour an event, do you? Um, but yeah. Okay. It's, uh... Uh, so I was going to ask you, because you obviously you're on the ground, you know everything, you know way more than I ever even thought about when it comes to, to racing these events. Um, so if someone's listened to this and they're kind of, I guess, in the UK, for example, or they want to get into um into racing uh, do you have any recommended events coming up this year that that would be kind of a good way to step into it or um i'd say this year um i don't think there's much left i think registration closed for a lot of events earlier this year so you will have had to have signed up fairly early but um a lot of events for next year are open now so there's race around the netherlands i know they pretty much finished their event and then opened it for the following year within a couple of days um, that's a pretty good one. Uh, that's two and a half thousand kilometers in nice flat Netherlands. Uh, this year was particularly wet though, so don't forget your waterproofs if you're going to do that. Um, 
But other than that, I think was some some of the newer events this year. So there was a Trans Pyrenees that just finished. Um, that's nine hundred and fifty kilometers, so more of a bite sized event, if you can call nine hundred and fifty kilometers bite sized. Um, and it was a mandatory route, so you don't have to spend hours poring over a map, uh, working out the most efficient way to get from A to B. This is a route given to you, and just follow it. Um, some people, I think uh, the winning guy finished it in 60 hours. So it's a bit of a, a more of a long weekend kind of event. Whereas events like the Transcontinental, for example, which is coming up at the end of this month, it's around about 4,000 kilometers and you've got to plan your whole route. You know, you're taking a couple of weeks off work at the very least. Uh, it's a bit more of a commitment um, for a first event. And I think I learned the hard way. I, did that a couple of years ago and um I ended up scratching in Austria and uh yeah I think if I was going to do it again I would start short and build up to something like that but plenty of people mm. have done the transcontinental as their first event and succeeded at it um so there is no right or wrong way to do these things it's entirely a personal thing but um yeah there are enough short events on the calendar now that you don't have to commit to 4,000 kilometers of of Europe. Um, so yeah, um, there's a really good bikepacking calendar on the Apogee website. If people search that in Google, it'll come up fairly, fairly top of the list there. Um, and that lists all the bikepacking events from around the world. And if you, if there's some that aren't on there, you can always email those guys and they'll add it to it. So, um, yeah, hopefully dot watch will have its own calendar in good time. Um, it's just not something I've managed to get around to just yet. So, um, watch this space. Cool. Uh, so let's to, to dot watcher. How do you actually support everything that you do? I mean, you just said you haven't got enough time to get everything done. So, you know, yeah. do you have like a, a sponsor on board to kind of help you out with things or people around to kind of get things done? Yeah. So um, dot watcher came about last year. Um, and then I came on this year. So Apidura with a founding I don't know how the founding partner of dot watcher. Um, so basically they recognized the need for a platform like dot watcher and, uh, decided to set it up. And then, um, they got me involved at the start of this year. So they, they're still, uh, definitely an important part of it, but, uh, we're now just trying to get a bit more support from the wider world. Really. Um, it's important that, um, this is a community effort and we want as many people to help out with Dot Watcher as possible. And given that I'm pretty much the only human <laughs> like running it, if you like, um, I just haven't got enough time to, you know, interview the people I want to interview or cover the races that I want to cover. And ultimately next year, I want it to be bigger and better. And there's a there's only one of me and I can't spread myself that far and wide. So um, the more people that um, volunteer their time to cover a race that perhaps they've done in the past um, and they have experience with, then it's just better for the wider community. More people will know about that race and perhaps enter it the following year and things like that. So, yeah, we're just trying to, um, yeah, get people on board to help out really. And yeah spread the word of cool. ultra endurance so if someone's listened to this now they're like okay actually this sounds pretty good i want to i'm an active dot watcher i want to contribute a little bit i want to give it a bit more how can they how can they do it 
Yep. So um, you can email me. I'm info at dotwatcher.cc or you can go on the website dotwatcher.cc um, and we've got all the social media channels so you can give us a follow on that. Um, and yeah, just get in touch, have a chat. I'm human at the end of the day. Like your email will come to me and we can have a chat about any photos you've got or whether you think that person's worth interviewing or maybe you want to be interviewed yourself. Um, that's fine as well. So um, yeah, just... Yeah, I basically just want people to have a chat with and, you know, we're just one big community at the end of the day. So let's just spread the word together and make it a team effort. Mm. Everyone loves having a chat. They probably listen yeah. to this, but they're like, listen to people having a chat. And I like to have a chat. So yeah, I think Everyone people are surprised when I reply to, you know, a gen- quite a generic info. Out. I'm like, oh, hey, it's me. And yeah, you know, there is someone at the end of the line. It's not just going to some black hole of emails. So, yeah. Anyone well, that was pretty much what happened with me and you. Yeah. It was uh, me reaching out to you via email and you being like, oh, yeah, I didn't know who you are. I'll follow you on Instagram. Yeah, I, I listen <laughs> to you your t-shirt color. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just get in touch with me and we can see what happens. Cool. Okay, well, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for sharing what yeah, that is about. Especially the difference between bikepacking and touring. I'm still not convinced. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's got an opinion on that. So I'm probably going to get some emails about that more than anything else now. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks, John. Thank you, Grace. Thanks, Grace. Uh, really cool to, to hear your views and what you're up to. And it's really exciting. Uh, I guess next year for you and, and the the kind of work you're doing there uh, and if anyone else finds that interesting and wants to maybe get involved has races coming up and they want to be able to document them share them uh, and contribute just get in touch with grace i mean she pretty much heads everything over there so you will definitely go through to her if you you get in touch stay tuned uh next episode is going to be me kind of giving you a big update of what i've been doing over the last weeks since I left Melbourne, uh, so I cycled from Melbourne over to Adelaide. Uh, I'm going to cover some of the shows that I kind of did before that as well, so it'll be just kind of like a retrospect in some ways. Retrospective bikepacking uh, is how I'm going to look at it. Uh, I've been kind of documenting a lot on my journey through and here, and there's a lot of things kind of going on in, in my kind of journey really, um, and I'd love to share it And if you find that interesting. Stay tuned, I'm going to be talking about everything from the bike setup to where I'm at, to the problems I've had, to the problems I've solved to the planning uh, to the thinking to the organizing to the route planning you know all the little kind of things that you kind of forget about when you kind of just get on with it um, and you just sort of figure out and get frustrated by it. but there's so much going on and there's more and more different views opinions uh, and thoughts uh, i kind of have uh, a lot of people ask me why i do this as well so i'm going to share kind of like my thoughts on that um hopefully that kind of changes how you think about what i'm doing or maybe you want to do this yourself or you're not really sure what the hell i'm doing so um yeah catch up to the retrospective bikepacking show coming out in about four days maybe all right thanks again grace pedaling podcast don't forget to follow the show at pedaling podcast on instagram and pedalingpodcast.com cheers